Hello and welcome back, all you beautiful walking home listeners. It is your leader, the man you came for, Nicholas Posadas. Or maybe you came for my lovely guest, uh, the second person I met in Austin on my crazy trip that I meant to document that I, I did, but I also didn't because I couldn't get around to it. And I'm sorry for that. Life happens and I've been caught up in a lot of little um, problems, little tribulations in life, um, just being a, in a human body, the things that come along with it, um, like getting a new job or uh, having to pay taxes or fix your car, little things like that, stopping me from maybe uh, doing all the things I wanted to do, but I find my way to record these podcasts for whoever to listen to, to listen to, and I hope you guys are sharing this with uh, anyone you think would find these interesting or would want to be on uh, an episode like this. So my friend, um, Rishi Kumar Das, uh, I met him in Austin as he was parading through the streets chanting Hare Krishna, and um, he's a really open being um willing to share information and knowledge with anyone that would listen um for me i walked right up to him and uh, just asked for the knowledge but um he had no problem with coming on the podcast to share the things and the ideas that come along with the krishna consciousness practice it's a form of yogic exercise or yogic practice which um is just a different aspect of what people see yoga as like stretching and posing as he'll uh, kind of explain in the beginning of the podcast a lot of things have the yoga aspect around it um, and it's about trying to make a practice of living uh, spiritual or living in the name of Krishna as they say or um, in Krishna consciousness so Rishi is way better at explaining it than me because this is his practice, his beliefs, and what he lives for on a daily basis. And it's a beautiful thing to learn. And at one point, I was obsessed with it. Um, You should, if you listen to the podcast long enough, you'll know, or if you just know me personally, you'll know that it was something that sparked my interest for a long while and still does, which is uh, another reason why I had... Um, him come on to share this uh, great and beautiful religion or practice so please listen and really try to hear what he's saying and put it into aspects that apply to your life and can help you become a better person and if you feel like none of this will help you do that then I'm sorry but I believe it will so I love you and everyone you love and everyone they love, and all your cats. This is the Walking Home Podcast.
Hello? Oh, one second. I've got some Bluetooth. Thing. Okay. Going on. Okay, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right, great. How are you doing? Good. How about you? I'm doing really good. Um, so we're just gonna get right into it since uh, me and both of us haven't really uh talked about each other or known about each other. So I'm just gonna let you um let the people and me know whatever you want us to know about you. Okay. This is Daniel? Yes. Cool. <laughs> is your podcast going? Are we like Yeah, yeah, the podcast is going. Okay. Um well yeah, my name is Rishi. I've been practicing um it's called Bhakti Yoga or Krishna consciousness for about two and a half years now. And um, a big part of that for me is there's a temple and we're kind of, it's like under the works mm -hmm. in Kansas City. And so sometimes I'm there, but a big part of it for me is actually traveling around the country. And that's how we meet cool people like you and uh, get to share some, some transcendental books. Right. Things like that. Um, so bhakti yoga, is that the, that's, what is bhakti yoga for someone who may not know? Yeah, it's, um, bhakti yoga means pretty much to link ourselves with the Supreme or God or Krishna. So yoga means to link. Mm -hmm. Uh, it doesn't just mean like gymnastic exercise, but what, so this bhakti yoga means to link ourselves up, yeah. um, body, mind, and soul with the supreme, right? Or with the with with Krishna, with God. So, and like the the basic principle is that everything in life is like a practice of yoga, just in different um, aspects or principles, right? Yeah, I guess. Well, the main thing that we study. Or kind of like the ABCs of bhakti is the Bhagavad Gita. And the first part of the Gita, have you read any of the, the Bhagavad Gita? So I've read like the shortened down, uh, like 100 page version of the Bhagavad Gita, but um, not anything like longer than that. Okay, yeah, if you check out this one, which is really authentic, I think I gave you one, the big, it was like golden colored. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's this, the cool thing about this particular Gita, because there's like 500,000 or 500 different versions of it, is that the person who's actually commenting on the translations, he's coming in a line of teachers who have passed this on for thousands of years, actually. Yeah. So you're still getting the original meaning of it. Whereas a lot of them were actually like assigned in colleges now and stuff. Some of them, they're commented on by someone who doesn't know anything about it. Yeah, and then at the end of, I even saw at the end of one that they use in a lot of colleges, the author says, well, I actually don't understand Bhagavad Gita. And I don't believe that anyone can. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, what is the point of writing this book? But anyway, so the, in this Bhagavad Gita, which says Bhagavad Gita as it is, because it's just being passed on as it is. Mm -hmm. The first uh, thing that's being spoken of by Krishna 
on a battlefield to Arjuna is he's explaining to him like the difference between the body and the actual person or the Atma, the soul. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like the the essence of Krishna consciousness means to know who you are and to be who you are. Uh, so that means knowing who you are not as this body, but actually as the soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, kind of get in more detail with who Arjuna was and um, what his conflict was with the and what brought Krishna to him. Yeah, uh, so this Bhagavad Gita, it's a conversation that took place 5,000 years ago on the battlefield of Kurukshetra, um, which is now in Maharashtra, India. And Arjuna, he is like one of the greatest warriors of all time. And he's conflicted, though, because at this particular time in this battle of Kurukshetra, he had family members on both sides. He is very perplexed. And so he's just in a distressed condition. So he's saying, actually, I don't want to do what I'm supposed to, what I have to do. I don't want to do my duty. I don't want to, uh, even though he's like a warrior, someone who's mm-hmm. he's supposed to be a king, he didn't want to actually fight for this kingdom because he sees like he's got to fight against like his own teachers, family members, all these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's close friends with Krishna who is God, (laughs) and he's speaking to him like, okay, I'm totally bewildered. I don't know what to do. What do you think is best for me? And then Krishna speaks the the whole Bhagavad Gita. Mm -hmm. And so um, how do you translate that to your life uh, after reading that the first time? Um, after reading it the first time, well, our life is kind of like a battle in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a big thing for me is seeing, understanding like this first part of it about not being the body, but the soul. Then, okay, well, that I could already understand that a bit when I was reading it. I had some idea that, okay, this body's a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Even when the body hits the ground, I'm still going to be here and I'm still going to have things to do. Um, I had somewhat of an idea of that before coming to Christian consciousness, just a little, just a little bit, but I didn't know well, actually what happens yeah. after the body steps working or who am I besides like, so anyway, these kind of questions are touched on a lot in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and being so if i'm not a body from the soul well then what does the soul do and the bhagavad gita touches on well the soul serves krishna or serves god so it's kind of shows how we can do that in like day-to-day life so i guess i guess for me personally i try to read the gita or these ancient texts every day and since they're coming from the same place that we're coming from as a soul, or they're coming from God, it's like you see a lot of interesting. It's like a whole guide for life. Yeah. <laughs> and so you'll you'll see things from your day that then stand out, and you're reading at the same time. Right. 
So, um, for you, uh, but what drew you to go into Krishna consciousness and what was life like before you, uh, started to practice this lifestyle? Yeah, before I came um, and met any of the devotees here, I was in college at West Virginia. Mm -hmm. And um, it was like a lot of the same old kind of activities that um, everyone's doing in college. So it wasn't very fulfilling. Mm -hmm. um, but I was interested in like some sort of spiritual life or some spiritual practice so i met some monks there actually i'd gone i took a trip over to vietnam and cambodia and that's where i started seeing all these temples and getting more interested in spiritual life but it wasn't until i got back to america that i actually met any people practicing anything mm. so i met some monks when i was at college and uh i came to the temple and it was amazing because my whole life changed just by meeting them like i was doing a lot of things that i didn't really want to be doing before I guess by circumstance or like by my, my like environment and association yeah. around me, you know, like drugs and uh, different relationships that aren't very fulfilling and all these kind of things. Right. But then just by taking up this process just a little bit within like two weeks, I realized I wasn't doing any of those things anymore. And I was actually way, but I was experiencing even more excitement and even more of a thrill like every day. So I was like, well, wait a second. Yeah. There might be something to this. <laughs> yeah. It's like a different type of excitement or like um, playfulness that you get with like experiencing stuff like that. Um, what do you, what drew you to Vietnam and Cambodia first? Um, were, were you there for a reason or did you just feel like you needed to visit? I was, you know, I took a world religions class in college because if you took that mm. class, then you get to go on trips around the world. <laughs> right. So was that kind of your calling to you? Like what people say whenever they get in front of temples and stuff, they kind of feel that uh, the feeling inside of them kind of bubble up. Is that how you felt when you visited Vietnam? There were a lot of temples there. So whenever we, we would be going to like multiple a day, and so whenever we'd be going into them, I'd have some idea that, okay, I don't know what the people practice at this temple or this place, mm -hmm. but I have some idea that, okay, this place is supposed to be like for worshiping God, so I should be like respectful in here. And I would just be kind of reflecting on those things as we would go into them each day. And so that meant that I was pretty much reflecting on that every day, for most of the day, just thinking about like, God and spiritual practice and seeing these different pastimes on the walls of the temples like mm -hmm. they'd show some images of Buddha uh, like renouncing the world or like even some of like Jesus and going on his whole journey and these different things so I would start to think about these personalities every day Yeah, and it just kind of sparked some kind of interest of like well wait a second everything that people are saying is like the goal of life where I'm from mm -hmm. in America. They're just saying, you know, get a nice job, get a nice uh, wife, have some money and enjoy. I don't see any of these things going on <laughs> in any of the paintings or carvings or whatever <laughs> in all these different temples and ancient places. Yeah. Uh, but these people look pretty satisfied that are in the pictures. So 
what's what are they doing mm-hmm. and so i got kind of interested in that way a little bit right so what was your what was your first time in the temple and what did you do um whenever you got there like yeah, uh, um, your your temple now at the for krishna consciousness one of the first things i did was i sat down where everyone has lunch and i had the most amazing food i've ever had mm-hmm. <laughs> so all the food um at all of these temples like these uh krishna conscious temples they offer all the food first the food is made with love and devotion for krishna or for god mm-hmm. that's the idea is to do everything that we're doing for that for god so the food is made for him and there's deities in the temple so they they then offer it to krishna in a pretty simple way where they're just saying these different prayers or mantras of like being saying krishna Mm -hmm. you're very great i'm very small please accept this humble offering and when they do this whole process of offering the food to Krishna, it becomes spiritualized. He's actually, he's all powerful. So he can even, just by hearing someone recite in some sort of prayer or something, he can mm-hmm. actually accept the food. Yeah. No matter where you are, because he's in every atom. He's in the heart of all living beings. Mm-hmm. Um, he's everywhere. Like everything is, is energy. Yeah, and that is that's um, that's like the uh, reason why you guys chant too, right? Because uh, isn't it every time you say Krishna's name, it carries the the God spirit behind it as well? Yes, he's non different than his name. So actually, by chanting Hare Krishna, we can come in contact with that supreme being, that cause of all causes. So what's cooler than that? Yeah, <laughs> it's like there's the we're persons, but right now we're in a material body. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I, you know, I say my hand, my head, my leg, my body. So there's someone owning the body. So we're, we're not actually this body. So when I'm saying God as a person or like God, the supreme person, I'm not talking about this limited material form. But Krishna or God, he's, he has a fully spiritual form, which means it's unlimited which means millions of universes can come from his form and still he'll be completely whole. Mm-hmm. Like millions of living entities can expand from him, but that doesn't subtract from his fullness because he's spiritual. It's different than matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, that really super amazing person, uh, we can have a, a relationship with him like a close face-to-face relationship just by hearing his name because he's non-different than his name, his form, his activities. So, yeah, that's why we chant Hare Krishna. Um, and it, you can just get blissed out <laughs> yeah. just by hearing this sound no matter where you are. Right. So that's kind of the main practice. And that was one of the main things we did when I came to the temple. First, I tried the food or it's called prasadam, which means food that's offered to Krishna. Mm-hmm. And then that was amazing. And then I tried the chanting uh, the next morning. And that was also incredible because I realized just by chanting this mantra, my whole life was changing around it. It wasn't like just my mood 
or my mind becoming calm, but even external things were changing. So it's so that's what we always tell people. Whatever you're doing, it's not like that you change your religion or your practice or whatever. Oh, that's cool. But just add chanting Hare Krishna. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, uh, they always say that it's just such a simple thing to do. There's no loss in trying to chant every now and then or once a day trying to chant for an, a minute and a half or however long. And yeah. you just see the way your life can change around it. And then uh, the the more evidence you see in the material world is what connects you to the spiritual world. Yeah. So um, part of being a Hare Krishna, right, if I'm wrong, uh, you can correct me, but is doing uh, sort of duties for the temple since the temple is for Krishna. Uh, part of your duties are to uh, maintain and um, keep up the the structure of the temples and like cook the food do the dishes and stuff like that but it's a it's a rewarding duty to do correct well we want to be engaged in this so bhakti yoga also means devotional service so yeah like you're saying we want to serve krishna somehow or other with our minds body words um so, yeah, if, if you go to a temple, it's not that, okay, it's not that, uh, okay, now I'm here so they'll put me to work and I'll I'll get some free food if, uh, if I do enough dishes. But actually, right. if we go to a temple or any, there's also many different holy places around the world, mm-hmm. the benefit of being there is one, we get to hear from saintly persons. There's a, a verse in this ancient text um, that I'll just I'll just recite it. The Sadhu Sangha, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Shastrakoi, Lava Matra, Sadhu Sangha, Sarva Sizikoi. That means that Sadhu Sangha or association with sadhus or saintly persons is so valuable mm-hmm. that even just a moment's association with uh, such a person can give one all perfection in life. So the goal of going to uh, these different... Uh, uh, sorry. That's fine. <laughs> uh, I'm just on this uh, call. Though. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. This is a half-inch orange. Thank you so much. Okay. I already sent a message Thank you. Um, what was I saying? Um, you were uh, talking of the service of Krishna at the temples and uh, what it means to do the oh, yeah. duties around the temple. Yeah, so going to all the different, like, there's temples and different holy places and stuff. So the real opportunity of going to them is that we can engage in devotional service. And so that's not just physical activities, like it could be maintaining a temple, you know, you might build a temple, you might uh, clean a temple and like get super blissed out actually, because you're doing, it might externally look like someone's just cleaning a wood floor or something, Mm -hmm. but it's actually a spiritual activity because they're serving Krishna. So they're, they might actually be feeling like 
extreme amounts of ecstasy. Yeah. <laughs> and when we don't notice it, it just looks like a normal activity from the outside. So you might do things like that, but then there's also other activities. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can serve Krishna in many ways. One of them is just by remembering Krishna. So we see, maybe you see something that remembers, that reminds you of Krishna's form, like he wears a peacock feather in his hair. Mm. You see a peacock feather, you remember him. Or chanting, kirtan. So singing the Maha Mantra and different songs about Krishna. Or hearing. So we'll hear um, classes and discussions on these different ancient texts, like the Bhagavad Gita and the Srimad Bhagavatam. That's mm-hmm. the main process. Devotional service starts with hearing. Mm. So what is a day in the temple like for you now? That uh, How long have you actually been with the, the higher Krishnas? Um, like two and a half years, almost three. Mm-hmm. And so what is your day, what is your typical day at the temple today? Uh, today I got to be with my spiritual master. Uh, he's a disciple of Srila Prabhupada, the person who started this whole movement. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty ecstatic. Um, we were working on, he's publishing uh, the Garga Samhita. It's like a really big Vedic text that hasn't really been translated or commented on before, especially not in English. Um, so he's publishing that. So we, I got to work on that with him, which is like crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel really fortunate so- to get to. So he's having you kind of translate into English for him or or Uh, like a um, bunch of y'all or what? No, he's, he had some other people did the translating and now he's make he's doing commentary on it. So I was just helping out with writing some of that. Okay. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. It's really cool. I felt like it's like being part of a history in the making because you're seeing such a big work come together. Right. Uh, in real time. Hmm. So, oh, so what's next, or what happened after that, or yeah? Um. Then I I just read for a while. I really want to read all of Srila Prabhupada's books now. Um, Srila Prabhupada, the person who started this movement, he gave mm-hmm. his whole life to writing these books. Like even, that's a cool thing. People, some people would say, well, "Wait a second, you're doing all this service, right? Mm. I see you out here." giving people these books or uh, doing this or that. So who's the guy at the top who's getting all the money, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> or they'll say, uh, yeah, you know, if if I was in charge of this big movement, you know, I'd be, I would just be enjoying like anything. Right. I'd get all that money, get a couple girlfriends and nice houses and all these things. Um, but we can actually just see the life of Srila Prabhupada. He came over to America with nothing mm-hmm. so his spiritual master uh Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati gave him an instruction when they first met actually so Srila Prabhupada he wasn't doing anything apparently very like spiritual at the time I think he was studying in college and a friend said hey let's go see one of these sadhus these saintly persons Prabhupada was saying no I'm not so interested I've seen some of these people before and like most of them were not really, they were pretty bogus. Mm. But his friend said, no, this person's different. We got to go. 
So Prabhupada went with him, and that's where Srila Prabhupada first met his spiritual master, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And the, right at that very first meeting, he gave Prabhupada the instruction that, okay, you're very learned in English, and I want you to, you should use that ability to uh, preach Krishna consciousness in the Western countries. And then later on, he gave him the same instruction again. Once Srila Prabhupada was his disciple, he told him, uh, at the most auspicious place in the world, actually, it's called Radhakund. It's a very spiritual place. So these two amazing personalities met there. Mm-hmm. And uh, Prabhupada, Bhakti Siddhanta told Srila Prabhupada, if you get money, print books. And he spoke a little bit about the importance of um, this uh, writing of these like spiritual literatures. So Srila Prabhupada, he, at the age of 70, I think, uh, or 69, he had given up the whole family life thing. His, his sons were old enough to care for their mother. The daughters were, uh, if he had any daughters, they were married. So he became a sannyasi. That's someone in the renounced order of life. Uh, he went to a temple in India to begin like writing some of these texts, like the Bhagavatam. And then he came over to America on the order of his spiritual master with nothing. Like he got a free ride on a cargo ship, which like a cargo ship is not a comfortable thing to ride on, especially right. across <laughs> the Atlantic Ocean. He had two heart attacks on the way over. Didn't even think he was going to make it. He didn't even know if he'd have anything to eat here, actually. People were telling him, Swamiji, don't go. The, and then the West, you know, they they just eat meat. <laughs> you're just going to, you're not going to have anything to eat because um, devotees, they don't eat like meat and uh, fish and eggs and all this stuff. Uh, we, the stuff that we offer to Krishna is what he says he'll accept in the Bhagavad Gita. And he doesn't accept like flesh and these things. Mm-hmm. It's like a vegetarian type of diet, but really tasty. All right. So he said, that's okay. He said, that's okay. I'll just eat potatoes and bread. <laughs> so he doesn't know if he'll have anything to eat. He doesn't know anyone in America if he'll have anywhere to stay. He doesn't know. But he came over on this cargo ship, had two heart attacks, came into the middle of New York City, uh, in the Bowery, just like the slums. And he just started chanting Hare Krishna. And some people began to come by and they were interested. And then he started a center in this little gift shop. Um, it was called Matchless Gifts. And some more people began to come by. And then from this, from Prabhupada and just a few of the people who came by and after like a year of just going and him feeding them and doing everything on his own, I remember after like a year or so of that, one of them, when he was clean, Prabhupada was cleaning up the dinner after feeding everyone, one of them thought, wait a second, he's doing all this stuff for us, why don't I help him? He said, Swamiji, could I help you with something? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so like this, some people began to help, and within, I think about four years, after coming over on the cargo ship, he was pretty much leading a whole worldwide movement and opening temples all over the world. Mm -hmm. Um, and there were people with him all the time. So we, his whole life is written down. It's recorded in films and everything. 
someone's all there's people always with him so we can see what this person's doing and it's not like okay now that he's got this position of leading this movement he's enjoying like anything no he's actually sacrificing like anything he gives his whole life all of his time anything in his possession just to serve his his spiritual master and um share this knowledge of krishna consciousness with the world uh, mainly through these books. So even when he was leaving his body, um, like on his deathbed, he was still transcribing these books mm-hmm. in a condition that doctors said, like normally people are in excruciating pain with uh, in this condition. But he was laying there, barely moving or anything. His eyes aren't even open. You can see videos. He's just holding the microphone still, barely making a sound, but speaking and uh, transcribing his purports, his commentaries in these books. So I've been really interested to read those now. So I try to use any free time. So yeah. So was he more of a vessel for Krishna to say this truth to uh, Westerners, or was it a uh, incarnation of uh, Krishna's spirit? Uh, he's a pure devotee, so, and that means someone they're whole desires so there's no desire for like personal gain or any material enjoyment mm-hmm. or prestige or something like this. But they could actually their desires with Krishna's desires so that's what this whole process of Krishna consciousness is for so we can like um like Jesus in the Bible it I remember I was listening to someone in Austin, Austin, Texas. He's a really cool spiritual master there Mm. um, with disciples and everything. And he was explaining how he's a Christian Hare Krishna and how Jesus brought him to Krishna consciousness. And he used to read the Bible and he was interested. He could see that Jesus was like the perfect person. He was wondering what makes him the perfect person. And then one day he was reading the Bible and saw that Jesus says, uh, my Lord, not my will, but thy will. And then that, it clicked for him. Okay, not what I want to do, but what God wants to do. Right. So this process of Krishna consciousness is actually how we uh, make that switch. Without telling how we can change your whole life to be actually for Krishna's enjoyment rather than for like our own selfish enjoyment. But right. then we'll see that we actually enjoy even more. Because just philosophically speaking, we talk about how the soul is a part and parcel of the supreme soul. They're all a part, a little tiny part of Krishna. Mm-hmm. So just look how the hand's a part of my body. If the hand tries to enjoy a cake on its own, it just shrivels up and dies. But if the hand takes the cake or the food and gives it to the belly, then the whole body gets satisfied. So like when we try and enjoy separately from Krishna, try to enjoy this material world we see is more anxiety, more problems. But when we actually take our loving, our love and our service, which is what we're always, we're always giving some love or some service to some beings, mm-hmm. and usually becoming unfulfilled in the end. If we just take that and then give it to Krishna, then we become fully satisfied. Just like when the hand puts the food to the belly. So mm-hmm. That's part of it. Yeah, wow. That's that's a great part of it too. I mean, it makes sense to only give good back to what's been given to you, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good point. If we have some like appreciation, you know, or like we're grateful, then like why wouldn't we want to serve the person who's serving us actually all the time? Right. You know, everything in the world is coming from one source and Krishna is that source. And yeah. It's, in our, I, it's like I don't want to say things that are just like, <laughs> like a, a dogmatic thing or like a religious thing. Like, mm-hmm. okay, this is like this, this is like that. Because it's actually, it seems more helpful uh, for explaining things and for people to understand if we're speaking like just based on logic. Yeah. And but, anyways, <laughs> the thing is, Krishna is God. So if <laughs> if he's serving us at every moment by providing tons and tons of food for every living entity, you know, there's elephants all over the world. They're not starving. They're eating every day. Mm-hmm. providing the food we're not starving we're, we're still eating but all these different things we have this body this is, i can't make a body this body i don't know how this thing is made at all but i i'm in one and i get to use it yeah and it's coming from krishna's energy so yeah if we're like grateful then we can try to that's really nice so then that'll give us even more of an impetus to try to serve him hmm like often there's a conception of uh, God being the father, like in Christianity. So people will go to the church and say like, Father, please give me my daily bread. Mm-hmm. So that's the position of a father. You know, he's always serving the child. The child doesn't really serve the father so much. But in Krishna consciousness, we'll actually, in these ancient texts, you'll even hear of pastimes of Krishna where he's a baby. <laughs> right. So there's oh, yeah. people who who are even serving God as His Father. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is kind of a far out thing, but it's interesting because then this takes a different role. Where usually a child's asking the father for service, but if in Krishna consciousness, we'll we'll even we're trying to actually do the, the opposite. We're trying to serve God in some way. Right. So, um, like you just said, Krishna's uh incarnated in spirit like multiple times to where uh, you know, once he was a kid or he was another person. Um what's some of your favorite stories or some of the important ones of uh Krishna's in- incarnation? Yeah, he he explains in the Bhagavad Gita that he appears in the world actually in all the universes, all the material universes, he comes every millennium to pretty much establish like the principles of how we go back home, back to the spiritual world. Um, and to get rid of like the impediments to doing that. So So, yeah, 5,000 years ago, he he actually came to this world um, in his original form. Mm. Uh, so he even appears like a child uh, for his devotees or like people who are serving him. So he's got like a mother and a father. He looks like a child. He has a whole life where he, show, he attracts us back to him through all these amazing activities. And those are all described in so many different books, mainly like the Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, but I'd say the one that is, I think the most important because those are all super cool Mm -hmm. and, uh, 
unlimited. But the most important is actually just his pastimes on the battlefield of Kurukshetra in the Bhagavad Gita. Because there we're actually getting like the practical knowledge of how to navigate this whole material world. Um, which is needed because like he's explaining how okay the, he's explaining how the body is pretty much like a vehicle mm-hmm. with the soul in the body and that there's this material world which is full of anxieties but there's and also he explains that in the material world birth and death is going on repeatedly like the first instruction in the Gita, he says, as the embodied spirit soul passes from boyhood to youth to old age, similarly, the soul passes to another body at death, but the self-realized soul is not bewildered by such a change. So all throughout the beginning, he's pretty much explaining how in this material world, there's just like a cycle of birth and death. Everyone's in anxiety. There's all sorts of miseries caused by nature, other living entities, our own mind and body. Like this, it's not a fun place. Because whatever we have, it's ultimately going to be taken away at some point. Mm-hmm. If I have some money, someone will steal it. Or even if I'm somehow or other able to keep it my whole life, I'm going to have to leave this body at some point, and then everything I've worked for is done. And then I just go into the body of someone else in mm-hmm. some other family or an animal or whatever, get some other form based on my consciousness. Uh, so he, he explains this material world is no fun, but there's actually a spiritual world. And the word for that is Vaikuntha, which means a place of no anxieties. Um, and being a spiritual being, we're all from the spiritual world, uh, where there's no birth, there's no death, there's no disease, there's no old age. So he kind of elaborates on that in the beginning of the Gita. And then later on, he's explaining how do we actually go back there. Um, this really valuable opportunity that we have in the human form of life because you know animals they're just kind of doing their thing they don't mm-hmm. get to stop and think well wait why am i just eating sleeping mating and defending is there something more to life who am i am i this body no instead the dog he just barks all day but right. the human being we actually get the chance to think about these things so that's kind of what the gita is for is for making the most um, productive use of this human form of life. Mm-hmm. Krishna kind of explains how to do that in a short amount of time in the Bhagavad Gita. And so would there be an end to reincarnation at one point? An end to, well, yeah, that's what this whole practice is for. So Krishna explains in the Bhagavad Gita that uh, yam yam afi smaran bhavam, I forget the rest of the verse, but it starts with that, that whatever our consciousness or our mind dwells on, that's the state that we'll attain. Uh, wherever our mind is situated at the time of death, that's mm-hmm. the state we'll attain without fail. So if I live my whole life like a dog, you know, every... A person of the opposite sex I see I'm just chasing after them and I'm just thinking where's food where's food where's a mate where's a mate I'm gonna go to sleep now <laughs> like this just sleeping eating mating and attending right. these are actually just the animal propensities even though if we look at it in our society today we 
it's mostly what we see it's being like taught you know i went to college at wvu they're pretty much just teaching how you can be um, a good dog and then after school go barking to from door to door at the different places saying excuse me is there any is there an open post here can i work for you application um so wherever consciousness is at when we leave the body we'll get that state um so if we fix our consciousness instead of on these material things which just keep us in this material world Mm -hmm. uh if we fix it on something spiritual if we fix our consciousness on krishna then we go back to him in the spiritual world where there's no more birth and old age and death beginning and then we would be a part of we would then also see all of Krishna's experiences at once, right? Uh, in the spiritual world, so there's time in the material world, which is like an instrument for, uh, you know, it's like decaying things. You look at like a, you leave a piece of fruit out and then you see it dwindles and shrivels up. And same with his body, our body's just kind of rotting like a piece of fruit. Uh, so time is working like that in the material world, but there's no time like that in the spiritual world because the soul or like me and you as spiritual beings, not this body, but the, the soul, it's eternal. The qualities of it are Satchit Ananda. That means eternal, full of knowledge and full of bliss. And we can actually practically see that just by what are people's activities. You know, like do do you have some desire to be like happy? Mm-hmm. Do I, is that yeah. like a question? Yeah. I have a desire to uh, find a way to be happy. Yeah. Do you have a desire to be like miserable? No. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we want to be happy. We don't want to be sad. It's because that's actually our natural state. Yeah. The soul is ananda. It's full of bliss all the time. So if we actually knew who we are, as the soul, if someone said, how are you doing? And we were actually fully situated on the spiritual platform. We'd tell them, oh, I'm totally blissful. Because it's actually the situation of the soul. Hmm. But unfortunately, we've been identifying with the mind and the body for so long. So we're thinking of the body and then we have to go through all the miseries that come along with it. Uh, but right. yeah, yeah, the soul is full of knowledge too. If we see why anyone does any activity in the world it's to get some sort of knowledge but mm-hmm. in school it's a knowledge i get the movie theater i want to absorb some information i get i'm just going to places for some doing activities for some information um so the soul's full of knowledge and it's eternal we don't want to you don't want to die right Mm-mm. i don't want to die you don't want right. to die. no one wants to die yeah. It's because we're actually, we're, it's, it's, that's a foreign thing, the whole death thing. It's weird to us because we're actually eternal. Right. So the, the spiritual world, it's, it's like that too. That's, mm. It's eternal, full of knowledge, full of bliss. So when we, we can go back there and yeah, we can be in our, we can get back to our eternal relationship with the supreme uh, person who's like the coolest person. And we can see Krishna's pastimes there. Um, 
we don't ever die. Yeah, there's no like, end to it. Right. Yeah, we don't. Yeah, we don't die. But the body is always dead. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone, when there's a funeral, like uh, I think uh, an uncle of mine uh, passed away recently, so family members were going to a funeral. So if you go to the funeral, people are saying, "Oh, um, such and such, he's gone." He passed away, but at the front there's a casket, and the there's the body in the casket. So you could you could go, and if you're thinking that the body is a person, you'd say, "No, look, such and such, uh, he's right here." Hmm. And they'll say, "No, he's gone." I'll say, "No, I see him. He's right here." So even we even know inherently that the body is not the person, right. but especially at the time of death, we're like we're all aware of it, but for some reason. <laughs> We don't act like it throughout the day. You're right. <laughs> and thinking, okay, I'm this body. Yeah. My goal of life is just to satisfy my senses and my mind. Right. Um, so the body, the body is never living. Because yeah. once the living being leaves the body, it just sits there and it rots. Right. Um, so the body lives never, but the soul lives forever. As soon as the soul enters the body of anything in the womb or in an egg or a seed as soon as the little spirit spark in the vedas it's described that it's a uh, one ten thousandth the size of the tip of the hair that's the size of the little atomic spiritual particle as the soul or the person or me hmm. so that little tiny something it's so small but it, that's the thing about the difference between spirit and matter. We can see something so tiny can have such a big influence. It's one ten thousand the size of the tip of the hair. So that's in the body. Right. And then because because it's there, you're conscious of the whole body. Yeah. So yeah, the soul's always living, but the body is just dead matter. And what you're saying is really understanding of uh, like why there's so much anxiety around death is. Because not only ha- has it not happened in your life, it has never happened ever in any of your lives. Like, it, it's never been complete black darkness of what people think death is. Yeah, we. it's like totally foreign to us, this idea of not existing anymore. Like, we don't want that at all because it's not our nature. Right. Our nature is to exist forever. So that's why no matter where we are in the material world, even if we have the biggest house and the best uh, relationship partners and the nicest and the coolest job and the best friends uh, or whatever, no matter where we are, it's not going to be fulfilling. We're going to be in anxiety because at some point we're going to get kicked out of that situation and we're not used to that. That's foreign to us. And so actually, what's the point of getting all that situation anyways, if we're just going to be kicked out of it? So we we should actually start to see somehow or other that this material world's not our home. And with all the anxieties that it has to offer, why would we want to stay here? So this process of Krishna consciousness gets us back in our natural position of spiritual life, where we can go back to the spiritual world in this lifetime, wrap up this whole process of birth and death. Well, the cool thing is, one can be situated in their original spiritual identity 
in their blissful eternal relationship with Krishna or God, um, even in this lifetime. It's not that someone has to die and mm -hmm. go to the spiritual world and then they're like fully blissed out, but actually by perfecting this, uh, we can become perfect in this life, which means that we actually remember our eternal relationship with Krishna and we're actually engaging in that relationship in the spiritual world even while our body's here. So it's like there's no more problems for that person anymore. Mm -hmm. They're just blissed out. Right. And that's, but that's also what some people would call like an ego death type experience or like a, just like dying inside or re being reborn by yourself, you know? Yeah, it's, it's pretty far out. Um, I was hearing in this class yesterday one was asking about the ego and he was talking about how we have this idea of, that we have like an ego. Mm -hmm. so we actually have two egos. So there's the, the false ego, which is okay. I'm this body and everything related to the body is mine. My friends, my family, my car, that's the false ego that I'm the body. And that's what kind of keeps us in all these anxieties. But with Krishna consciousness, we're reawakening or re-remembering uh, our real ego, which is actually I'm a part and parcel of Krishna. I'm I'm a, I'm a servant of Krishna, the supreme person. Mm -hmm. Which is nice because otherwise, if I'm thinking I'm something to do with this material world, then I'm going to be the servant of something really lame. It's like okay, I'm the servant of a boss at FedEx, or I'm the servant of my wife who doesn't actually like me that much because <laughs> we're, we're always serving something yeah if you look at anyone we're always serving the father serves the kid wife serves the husband husband serves the wife uh someone serves their friend someone serves their boss and why do we do all this service because we're trying to get some happiness right if i serve this pretty lady i'll be happy if i serve my boss get some money and be happy to serve, serve my kid, I'll make him happy. And then by seeing that, I'll become happy. So it's our natural propensity to serve, actually. But as long as we're only serving these material things, it's never very fulfilling. Right. Uh, but when we serve the person that our service is, like, originally meant for, we just turn back towards Krishna, then we'll be, like, totally blissed out in this lifetime. <laughs> Yeah, and it's so apparent to see with, like, the rise of people who will say they have anxieties or uh, depression and all these type of mental health issues um, because the material world just keeps growing and it's right in front of their face anyways, so that's the first thing that they can cling to uh, when they can't see or feel uh, the spirit, the spiritual world yet or they choose to block it out. Um, they do pick up these anxieties and uh, all these issues. Yeah. How could you not be in anxiety here? I mean, actually, Krishna even calls it the person who's making everything. He calls this material world, a place of anxiety. There's a verse in the Bhagavad Gita. It says from the highest planet, uh, down to the lowest. Cause there's life. That's another thing. There's life everywhere. It's not like just, mm -hmm. okay. It's just the humans on this one planet because we're so awesome and there's no other life. Yeah. But the Vedas, which have been around for thousands of years, describe life on all the planets. 
and uh, of, of different degrees, like some planets are higher and there's nicer standards of living and stuff. But Krishna says from the highest planet down to the lowest, all of, all are places of, um, of miseries where in repeated birth and death take place. Uh, I mean, that's right. So that's, his, that's what he says about the material world. <laughs> yeah. And Krishna taking uh, responsibility and embracing the anxieties of the material world when, like you said, he is the creator of them. Uh, it, he's, is he putting the anxiety there for a sort of like beacon to call to him or is it a test or how do you see that? Yeah, that's a good understanding. Um, this material world, it's like, it's described in the Vedas, it's one fourth of all of existence. So you could say, I mean, it's, these things are like inconceivable, mm -hmm. um, but you could say, like, there's the whole spiritual world, which is unlimited. And then in one fourth of that space, there's the material world. Sorry, there's a plane going overhead. Right. Um, so yeah, the material world, it's like a, it's like a prison. So all the rebellious living entities, we come here because we don't want God to be the center. We don't want Krishna to be the center. We come here to try to be God. Mm. So when, when we actually want to be the center, we want to be the supreme enjoyer, the supreme proprietor, the supreme being. When we want to test that out, see how we how we do in that position. Well, it's not actually possible because that position's already filled. There's already a God. That's Krishna, or you know, he goes by many names. I'm not like saying some dogmatic thing. Right. This is it's the same thing that's explained in like every description, whether you call mm -hmm. him Allah or Jehovah or Yahweh. But the point is, there's already a God, um, and that spot's already filled. But when we want to, when we want to do that, say, hey, wait, this, what's all this, Christian? <laughs> yeah. What about me? I want to be the center. So right. he he's fulfilling the desires of every living entity because he's also the friend of every living entity. So right. he makes a place where it's just suitable for us to actually live in that illusion that we're the center. So there's the material world where we can mm. come here and we can try and believe we're the center from the very day that we get out of the womb. So we can be packed up in the womb yeah and go through all that suffering and then the, the day that we pop out people are looking at us going oh he's so amazing right <laughs> and then they give us all <laughs> they give us all sorts of things and they're serving us and we're thinking yeah i am pretty great yeah and then we grow up like this just trying to lord it over everything so pretty much yeah the material world it's a place where we can try and be god I think that i'm the center um and there's these anxieties here that's actually Krishna's mercy so that we can at some point or other wake up to the fact that, okay, I want to be happy, but I keep suffering. I'm being kicked around like anything again and again and again. Maybe I should change what I'm doing. So that it, those anxieties are Krishna's mercy so that we can realize this place isn't our home mm -hmm. and we can go back to our natural position as a servant of Krishna, not some imitation right. of Krishna, some imitation of God. So it's like, for me, I just got it full circle from the whole conversation we've had is that humanity as a whole is projecting the misery, the anxieties 
uh, onto themselves because that is what they, uh, as a whole, seek out uh, to gain from this material world. Whereas uh, Hare Krishnas and devotees of Krishna consciousness look to do the opposite and uh, praise uh, a single all-knowing source and um, project their goodwill onto that in service of the higher power. Oh, it's not just like uh, just people who practice this religion or just like people who live right. in a temple yeah. or say that they're Hare Krishna or whatever. Um, it could definitely come off that way because of my own inadequacy of describing it because uh, just I, I still need more time to like realize everything of that, yeah. <laughs> that I'm reading about and everything. I, I don't really feel like I'm a very good... Uh, person of like explaining mm -hmm. this whole philosophy but um yeah it's not it's not like just this religion or these people or that people but what we're talking about uh word for it is it's called sanatan dharma pretty much what we're practicing which it dharma means like the natural position mm -hmm. so it's the natural quality or position of sugar to be sweet or of chilies to be hot it's their natural state. So Sanatan Dharma, which is like another ancient term for this process, it just means the natural state of the living entity. Yeah. So it's not like some imposition of like some institution or something. It's not some artificial imposition on the mind, but actually every living entity is eternally a servant of Krishna. Mm -hmm. Every living entity is naturally a, a Krishna conscious living being. Um, we're all coming from one source and we're a part and parcel of that source. So when I'm saying Krishna, I'm talking about that source and people might be kind of weirded out when you say that source is a person. But the thing is, if there's some being, some being higher than us that we're coming from, yeah. how can we say that we have something that that source doesn't have? If I have personality, how does the place I'm coming from not have personality? Right. Yeah, so he also has personalities, likes, desires, a form, friendships, relationships. So we're naturally a part of this one supreme being, the supreme force, um, who has a form and desires and qualities, mm -hmm. beauty and all these things. Um, so every living entity, every soul is a part and parcel of that source. So it's pretty much, it's just, it's just up to our desire. We can try to, we can try to be the supreme, and enjoy the material. We can try to lord it over the material nature. Say, I'm I'm the lord of all I survey. I'm going to make all these arrangements with matter, so that I can enjoy. Um, but actually, ultimately, we can't enjoy matter because we're spirit. It's a totally different thing. Right. Um, so we can keep trying to be the lord and the enjoyer of this matter which is also Krishna's energy, or we can actually stop doing that and say, okay, yeah, I want to serve that supreme being. And whatever, it doesn't matter where we are, what religion yeah. we are, or thing we practice or whatever, but as a spiritual spark, part and parcel of the supreme spiritual whole, I have a decision of, okay, I can stay in this material world and keep trying to enjoy matter, or I can actually turn around 
to the person whom I'm coming from and try to serve that person. Uh, and in this way, actually reawaken our natural our Krishna consciousness. <laughs> right. Uh, man, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to learn about and to, I'm sure to be a part of it's an amazing thing. And it's, uh, how would you say it's changed your life in the most way? In the most way, I, um, I mean, honestly, before I came to Krishna consciousness, I was so bewildered, man, mm-hmm. <laughs> like exhausted. Yeah. Uh, really, just like sucked. And when I would uh, do things which were like, okay, I've got this desire, you know, I'm gonna make some cool music. I'm gonna get up on the stage, be the cool guy, or I'm gonna get the best looking girlfriend or I'm going to make my parents proud with this diploma or whatever it is. <laughs> I get these different goals and desires. Then once I finally get them, I'm like, what? Wait, this is it? Yeah. I thought this was supposed to be awesome. You know, my mind was doing this, throwing me for a whole loop saying, this is going to make you happy. This is going to be great. And then I get that thing, whatever it is. And I'm thinking, wow, wait a second. Actually, this isn't so cool. Yeah. Okay. I got the, the my parents said, uh, you know, whatever you do, if you just go to college, the degree will be happy. So, you know, I like slave away in school, like anything, literally probably causing myself brain damage, studying all this nonsense and like staying up late, mm-hmm. doing the test and all this stuff. So doing all this bogus for all these subjects that I'm going to forget about in like a month <laughs> or a yeah. few years. And then I finally get the degree. And I'm like, hey, you're going to be so happy. We go to the uh, graduation. And it's just the same old, same old. They're like, hey, good to see you. Okay, you did it. Now what's next? You're going to get the job now? Okay, now what's next? You're going to get the nice hat? (laughs) Wait, these people, I just did all this to satisfy these people and they're not satisfied. Or I try to satisfy satisfy myself. Think like, okay, I'll get the cool girlfriend and I'll get get all the friends that think I'm the coolest guy in the world. And then I do that and actually the whole friend group doesn't like each other. And the girlfriend actually isn't as pretty as I thought, and she's getting kind of fat now, and, <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. It's not. It doesn't end up being satisfying. All right. I just got tired. It's just so. It's depressing, actually. Just trying all the same things, like old wine, new bottles. Right. Trying all the same activities over and over again. It's pretty much just like eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Different ways. Mm-hmm. Okay, it wasn't fun when I. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> go on. We're so long about it, but yeah, it was just a depressing situation. Like, what the heck? Yeah. People are saying the point of life is like pretty much to enjoy your senses, or if you look at it just a little more, look at any advertisement, billboard, movie, or whatever. They're saying the point of life is just to have sex. Right. That's pretty much what we're being taught right. in our uh, extraordinary society here. So. And then I do I do that. Okay, this is the point of life to find some pretty some good looking person to have sex. So then I try that and say, so, well, wait a second. This uh this whole point of life went on for like a short amount of time, and now I'm still like bored and unsatisfied. What do I do now? So it's like everything that we're being fed and taught that will make us happy actually is pretty uh, embarrassing at yeah. the end of the day especially with how much energy we have to put into it 
so that's how I was feeling. And then once I graduated college, I was thinking, man, because I had some idea of this whole reincarnation uh, idea. So I was reading some different things and also had some pretty far out experiences. Um, so I kind of understood that. And I started to think, well, wait a second. If I have to live again, I do not want to go through this again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was a big kicker. And then I thought, well, I want to see what these uh, monk guys are doing because I saw in one of their books that someone is saying that there's a way to not actually take another birth in the material world. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of a philosophical desire. Mm -hmm. And then I also was thinking, well, who's this person that's controlling everything? He seems really cool. Who's the person that's like making the trees grow and arranging this whole thing that we call life? I want to know, like, how do we know that person? It seems super awesome. Right. So these these two desires of like, hey, material world sucks. I don't want to do it again. And but at the same time, who's ever creating everything seems really amazing. I want to get to know that person. These two desires kind of sparked my interest in this. And then once I met the people who were practicing it and saw that like, whoa, this is legit. Yeah. <laughs> then that kind of sealed the deal. Right. Well, man, it was. It's awesome talking to you, and I'm glad that we met. And well, first off, actually, I want to bring this up too. Is part of, uh, I guess, Krishna consciousness and just like uh, Hinduism in general is like a kind of gracefulness of uh, events happening in life, or just uh, practicing being graceful. And that, to me, I feel like that's kind of what happened to us meeting in Austin and uh, like uh, I, the the feeling around what happened there when we met. Yeah, that was really amazing. I had I was walking around with those books for a long time. I was thinking, man, these must be like for somebody. I'm tired of carrying them also. They're heavy. Yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking like, where where's the person who's supposed to have these? Um, right. And but, I kept walking up to a lot of people actually, and I was saying like, "Hey, check this out, spirituality," and like, "Check it out." And then you ran up to us, and you're like, "What are you guys?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I told you I was like, "Hari Krishna's," and your friends. I think when your friends almost like rolled their eyes, they're like, "Oh, he loves the Hari Krishna." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was so. I told a lot of my friends about that. They were like, "Oh wow, this yeah, person sounds really cool." Right. Wow. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it was Your definitely... friends were like, they knew how much you were into it already. They were like, yeah, give us the books. You know, you, you yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was, it was just an amazing thing that happened all at once. And, uh, it made my whole year. I feel like, you know, it's just like, and it's because y'all were carrying the, the spirit of Krishna with y'all. I mean, it, uh, it was like touching the, the source, you know, and I could, you could feel it energize your body immediately mm -hmm. at least for me i mean i'm not speaking for everyone that ran into y'all that day but for me you know that's that's what it felt like yeah that all comes from the chanting so we really just want to make that a part of our day like somehow or other mm -hmm. other otherwise we just get covered over by the modes this is in the bhagavad gita it explains the modes of nature it just means nature so you know, like you see everyone's kind of like stuck in their way all day. Someone's like running to work. Another person's sleeping. 
You know what I mean? We just kind of get covered over by nature. But mm-hmm. the chanting is what breaks us out of that. And like you're saying, we feel this like spiritual energy, this upliftment. Mm-hmm. Man, so it's, it's really all just coming from the, the, the chanting. Actually. Yeah. But I'm, I'm so grateful for meeting you guys and uh, connecting with you. Um, and I'm glad that you were willing to come on to the podcast and talk so openly without being nervous. And um, I just want you to say anything you may want to tell anybody that's listening and made it to the end of this and uh, your just little piece of parting advice for them. Um, well, yeah, thank you actually so much for having me on here and for being really awesome. Uh, it's, it's really nice, actually. Of course. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully we can stay in touch. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um and for, I guess, the farting thing, like I was saying with the mantra, I'm realizing now I didn't even say what the mantra oh, is right, this whole yeah. time. <laughs> but yeah, for anyone listening, just chant, and here's the mantra. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. That's a spiritual sound vibration that awakens our natural blissful nature. So please try it out. Uh, however much you can and just you know like don't take my word for it but just try it yourself yeah and like i said it takes you know you can do it however long you want a a day and if you just do it for a week i guarantee you will see at least one change in life immediately i mean it it's weird seeing it or trying to pay attention to it but it definitely happens even if you don't uh, notice yeah, that's where it's at. That there is where it's at. <laughs> if we can chant and get blissed out, and then just share that with others, yeah, it's right. just it's ecstatic. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you for being really awesome. Yes, man. I love you, man. Have a great day. <laughs> love you, brother. Talk to you soon. Yes, talk to you soon, man. Bye. Bye. <laughs> man. That, I just didn't want to talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Wow.